Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. President Biden has officially been in office for one year, and it has definitely been uneasy at best. He started off with early successes in passing the COVID relief bill and the vaccine distribution program, but then hit problems with the Delta and Omicron surges, a disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, and a record high inflation. For more on Biden's first year, we'll speak to Jonathan Lemire, White House bureau chief at Politico and host of Way Too Early on MSNBC. The president, as you said, his year can almost be neatly divided in half with a lot of successes in the first half and challenges in the second half. Let's remember, he took the oath of office a year ago in front of the United States Capitol that still bore the wounds of the insurrection that happened just two weeks prior. And he addressed an empty field, the empty National Mall, because no crowds were allowed, because it was the height of the pandemic. And White House aides point to a number of triumphs during that year, and particularly the first few months, the COVID relief bill put almost $2 trillion in the hands of businesses, families, and schools to get them up and running. He distributed, helped distribute the vaccine. So now nearly every American can get their hands on shots and boosters. And he also just tried to take down the temperature in Washington that was so overheated by the tumultuous tenure of Donald Trump. But the White House seemed to have been sort of knocked off course over the summer. It was a one-two punch, the really chaotic initial exit out of Afghanistan, ending the nation's longest war with days of, of, of violence. And then the Delta variant caught the White House, they acknowledged, off guard and sent cases skyrocketing throughout the country, deaths and hospitalizations followed. And that sort of put them on a bit of a losing streak. That yes, certainly in the second half of the year, they did pass the bipartisan infrastructure deal. That's, that's a big thing. But we also saw the return of the virus with a vengeance with the Omicron variant. We saw the breakdown of the president's agenda, the voting rights push is going nowhere. Uh, the Build Back Better agenda has also stalled and done so. It's been undercut by members of his own party. Inflation has really risen. And as you said, his poll numbers have taken a tumble. Yeah, I mean, it's been a tough go with all of that. You know, when uh, Biden was campaigning, obviously the two top things uh, that he was uh, campaigning on were unity, bringing the country back together, especially after what happened on January 6th and the pandemic. So the pandemic, as you just kind of laid out, right, all up and down this roller coaster regulations, people are just tired of it. That's been a really tough one to go. But the unity in the country, too, also just we remain polarized more than ever, really. And, um, you know, we see on the other side of things, former President Trump gearing up for a possible run again, going into the midterms. It's going to be very tough for the president. Yeah, it'd be hard to say the country is more unified now. And to be clear, a lot of that blame should not be placed on Joe Biden. Um, the Republicans have been borderline obstructionist on nearly his entire agenda, except for a handful of senators who supported the infrastructure deal. And only a couple of Republicans were willing to participate in the January 6th Select Committee, trying to probe what happened there that day. You're right, Donald Trump, though off Twitter, is still very much a, an everyday presence in the, in the political world and seen as the likely favorite for the GOP nominee in, in nomination in 2024. And the president has some historical headwinds right now. It's just, it, it's sort of typical in American political history that the party that's out of power, that doesn't have the White House, tends to do well in the midterm elections. And right now, the Democrats' margins are so slim. Their advantage of the House is a couple seats, 50-50 tie in the Senate. That bodes well for Republicans this November. 
Democrats are still very optimistic, right? We're talking about the first year. This is a four-year term. So, you know, we're far from over at this point right now. And, uh, you know, they point to Barack Obama. They point to Bill Clinton, who had uh, tough first years, then went on to re-election. So, obviously, for Democrats, they're going to be optimistic. And, uh, you know, Republicans are going to keep beating that drum that he's not doing a good job. But this is where we're at. Uh, the, the, uh, the midterms are going to be key in shaping the second half of uh, Biden's presidency. Sure. White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain spoke to me for a piece I wrote for Politico evaluating the president's first year. And he made the point you did that he acknowledged there have been some challenges in this first year. But he said, look, the president was elected to serve a four year term, not a one year term. And they feel like they've got time to turn this around and they see some hopeful signs on the horizon. They believe that pieces, at least pieces of the Build Back Better agenda can still be passed into law at some point this spring or summer, giving Democrats something to run on ahead of the midterms. They believe the Omicron wave is is starting to peak here in the United States, that maybe in a month or two, the virus cases will also start to decline. And they do believe, and they have their fingers crossed, that inflation will also peter out in the months ahead, potentially setting up a series of good news stories for Democrats before voters go to the polls in November. Yeah, I mean, one big key thing holding Democrats back still is kind of the infighting and the division within them, the progressive wing of the party, the moderates, you know, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, I mean, have so much power to derail everything, as we've been seeing with the voting rights and the filibuster stuff. So that's another key thing that uh, Democrats are going to have to get under control. Yeah, the Democrats are obviously a big tent party, and there's a lot of very disparate points of view and ideologies within the same party. And on the whole, a lot of Democrats say, hey, President Biden's done a pretty good job keeping us together with a couple notable exceptions. And you just mentioned them. Senators Manchin and Cinema, who have defied the president on voting rights. They won't touch the filibuster, which would be needed in order to enact any sort of meaningful reform. And Manchin in particular has been a roadblock to the Build Back Better agenda as well. Seemingly his demands for it are shifting by the day, much to the frustration of other Democrats and those in the White House. But the president, let's remember, he spent nearly four decades in the Senate. He has great respect for the body. He has prizes and relationships with the individual senators. He's going to keep working with them, aides say, and they believe they can still get some part of the agenda done, though likely smaller than he first proposed. Well, shaky first year. we got a long way to go with the Biden presidency still. We'll see how it all pans out. Jonathan Lemire, White House Bureau Chief at Politico and host of Way Too Early on MSNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Hope to talk to you again soon. This week, we also learned that the CIA issued an interim report saying that they found no worldwide campaign by any foreign power that was behind the mysterious Havana syndrome. Another previous report had said a directed pulse radio frequency could be the cause, but the CIA said that most of the incidents could be attributed to pre-existing medical conditions of those affected or environmental factors. For more on Havana Syndrome, we'll speak to Shane Harris, intelligence and national security reporter at The Washington Post. It's important to know, too, that they're saying they don't think anybody's behind it at what they call, the words they use were a sustained global level. And if you kind of unpack what that means, as you pointed out, there have been many, many of these cases all around the world. They've actually been reported on every continent except Antarctica. Uh, So it's basically everywhere. The CIA has examined more than a thousand reported incidents. And what they're saying is that they don't see like a foreign power 
being responsible for all of those and kind of going around the world and targeting people. What they do find is that the majority of those thousand plus cases, they can attribute the symptoms that people are reporting to some kind of medical condition or some kind of environmental factor. So they can basically say, yeah, we have something that we can define that's wrong with you. Then the question is what happens to all those other people whose illnesses they can't explain. And now what the agency is doing is focusing on a handful of these, about two dozen of them, that they're going to kind of investigate further. And for those, they're not saying that it couldn't be a directed energy weapon or the Russians. They're just saying they don't know for sure. And there's no patterns. They're kind of leaving it open. So we went from kind of having the possibility that the Russians were, you know, not to be blithe about this, but running around the world with ray guns, making people sick. They're saying, hey, that's not happening. But there could be like individual cases where the Russians were using some kind of weapon to attack people, but they just don't know yet. The CIA has no firm conclusion on that. And that's why this story is so crazy, because the perception kind of was that somebody was, you know, did have these ray guns or, you know, apparatus that were shooting frequencies at people. As a reminder, this started in Cuba in 2016. That's why they call it Havana syndrome, where diplomats started experiencing these symptoms. And the twists and turns that the story took, people thought it might have been cicadas or other grasshoppers, mm-hmm. something that were crickets. You know, crickets that were making the noise and, and causing people right. to, to feel these symptoms. And so we've gone all this way now. Now we're getting to this point. Yeah, and I think that for a lot of people who have experienced symptoms, and we should be clear, for some of these people, there's no doubt there's something wrong with them. I mean, they are having, in many cases, debilitating symptoms that have no apparent cause. But I think this this latest update has made some of them feel like they're not being taken seriously or that the government's possibly, you know, giving up on finding a root cause of their problem. And I want to be clear that, you know, CIA officials we spoke to yesterday, we want to make clear that that is not the case. They're not giving up. They're going to continue investigating. The reality is, though, is that there's no real clear cause for this. And as much as some people may believe that they're the victims of an attack by a directed energy weapon, there's just not been evidence of that that's been discovered yet. And it's really, really hard. The analysts who've worked on this, I've talked to them, who said, look, this is one of the hardest things we've ever had to do in our career. There's no pattern. There's no sort of connect the dots here that leads us to conclude, yes, this was definitely X, Y, or Z that's causing it. So it's very emotional. People are really suffering. They do credit the government and the CIA and the State Department for doing a much better job of getting medical attention and taking them seriously in the new administration. But that's not really getting them closer to answering what the cause of this problem is. And to that point, right, about uh, giving them medical attention and helping them out, the Biden administration did pass the Havana Act, which does provide the money and support and, and help with all of this when they're out in the field. And, you know, something like this happens. It's but it's been, uh, you know, a big cause for concern. There was something that the vice president was going to be doing that got canceled or delayed mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, there was the rumblings of this happening. And, and uh, you know, as you mentioned, over a thousand cases of this just happening everywhere. So, you know, it's just a complicated issue that just uh, it doesn't seem to go away. What Do we know when the last report of something like this was? We saw reports uh, in the press as recently as like a couple of weeks ago. So, I mean, I think that these have been fairly consistent and ongoing. There was recently a big spate of reports coming out of Vienna, which is a major U.S. diplomatic presence. 
lot of intelligence operations going on in Vienna. Uh, Notably, uh, on a recent trip that CIA Director Bill Burns took overseas, a a senior member of his staff became very ill. And there is concern that that individual might have been targeted as well. You mentioned the vice president that was last year when she was in Hanoi. And and, and there were concerns that that her detail might be or her trip might be uh, in jeopardy. So these things pop up a lot. And I think what's difficult for the CIA, too, in that is that they, they, and they talked about this when they, when they spoke to us yesterday, is that they've encouraged people to come forward and report symptoms. And what has ended up happening is lots and lots of people have come forward to report symptoms that are explicable by some, some other means, right? So you've kind of flooded the system with noise, frankly, right. of, of, you know, and when you're trying to find the signal. And that's to be expected, I suppose, when you tell people to come forward if you're experiencing symptoms. And remember, these are symptoms that are pretty common. I mean, headaches, ringing in the ears, I mean, dizziness, like from time to time, lots of people experience those. It's not as if these symptoms are so bizarre that you can point to them and say, aha, this is unusual. So that's made the challenge really hard as well. But, you know, honestly, like I still, I've talked to, you know, privately to U.S. officials who still very strongly believe that at least in the small number of cases that it is a foreign actor. Many people still suspect Russia. But the CIA's report yesterday of trying to say, look, it's not Russia on a global scale, kind of makes it hard to square that circle a little bit. It's like, okay, (laughs) well, then why do you think it's Russia on a small scale exactly? That's still not clear. And there hasn't been any evidence really to say that it was them on that front. We'll keep uh, monitoring this. As I mentioned, one of the big mysteries that we've been dealing with since 2016 when we first got these reports. Shane Harris, intelligence and national security reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. This week, we also saw some delays in the rollout of 5G from Verizon and AT&T. It was causing some flight cancellations and delays as we heard about worries from the FAA that the 5G frequencies could possibly interfere with radio altimeters that the aircraft uses to land when visibility is low. For more on all the 5G problems, we'll speak to Rebecca Heilweil, reporter for Recode by Vox. Right now, what we're seeing are sort of a growing number of flight cancellations, especially from international airlines, like you said, that are on the 777 Boeing plane. Basically, what happened is that the the Federal Aviation Administration, which is the agency that regulates flying throughout the United States, uh, has been expressing concern about this new set of frequencies uh, for 5G, which is called the C-band. And the concern is that, like you said, these could interfere with some safety hardware. And what happened is the FAA issued a bunch of new rules for all sorts of aircraft in order to, for when they fly under these uh, new conditions with this new type of 5G. And because of that, all the airlines are scrambling and some are worried that they can't fly um, and will be able to meet the FAA's requirements, which is what's causing all of these cancellations and rescheduling. Now, Verizon and AT&T have been at this for quite some time. The rollout of this has already been delayed twice. It was supposed to start up in December and uh, they eventually did it on the 19th. But, you know, the FCC approved that they could use this frequency right here that they say is very close to what the altimeters use on these planes. They they approved this. They said it shouldn't cause any interference. Right. I think part of the challenge here is that there was the FCC, which made this available to mobile carriers like Verizon and AT&T. But the problem is that the FCC isn't the only one that has a say in this. Uh, the FAA also wanted to have its say, which is why we're seeing all of the uh, commotion right now. 
tell me a little bit more because I know this uh, can get a little complicated for some listeners, but tell me a little bit more about how this works with uh, the towers and uh, how close they are to airports and, and you know how much of a, a difference that makes. As I mentioned, AT&T and Verizon have been at this for some time, spending $81 billion to buy the rights for this little range of radio spectrum. So, so how does that work? So it's worth noting that the big challenge is that we don't quite know for sure. The problem is, is that these this hardware altimeter uh, altimeters are not standardized. So you don't necessarily have the same one on every different type of aircraft because the FAA is not sure um, as to how each one might perform under those new 5G C-band conditions. They've said, we don't want to let any plane fly that might be reliant on that in that certain, in a certain scenario, potentially low visibility, a situation with low visibility until we know that that hardware can work with the C-band. So the concern is not that there is an issue. It's just they want to basically, you know, dot all their I's and cross all their T's on the FAA side to make sure that these devices can still work as normal, even when the C-band is turned on. And the concern, as we said, was with Boeing 777s and, and older aircraft, I guess. Uh, so they've been doing some testing, testing out these frequencies to make sure everything works? Yeah. So basically, the uh, way forward here is that the FAA working with data collected from the wireless companies as well as the uh, airlines themselves will basically make a determination, altimeter model by model, and say, you know, this one's good to go. And then that clears the aircraft that do use that hardware to fly. So, you know, there were already two models that were approved and that cleared up a lot of commercial aircraft in the U.S. But, you know, they need to look at every single one, basically. Wow. That's the FAA's position. But there's a path forward here, and I think that's important yeah. to keep in mind. I mean, yeah, that just sounds like it'll take some time. Now, so, okay, so they delayed, uh, AT&T and Verizon delayed the rollout near some uh, selected airports that the FAA asked them to. But it didn't stop the rollout of all the 5G towers. And, you know, this is a lot of people are looking uh, very much forward to this as it could increase uh, download speeds. And, and uh, you know, a lot of 5G capable devices are already out there on the market. So, I mean, this is a big thing. And, and the rollout still is continuing, at least in some parts of the country. Yes, the rollout seems like it's going forward. If you're someone who lives very close to an airport, you might not get the C-band service the same way you might get it in some other places, but it is going forward. Now, these sort of remaining questions have to do with the air area surrounding airports themselves. What can people expect if you have this five, a 5G device, they turn it on, you know, turn the towers on in your area, uh, as I mentioned, uh, faster download speeds. What can people expect uh, as a, uh, uh, to their service, to a change in their service? Right now, uh, you know, you might be getting that 5G notice on your phone if you have a 5G-capable device, but that hasn't, for a lot of people, been that different from 4G because they're connecting to what's called low-band, or if it's really, really fast, they happen to be somewhere that has an extremely fast connection called millimeter wave, but that's not super widespread. C-band is supposed to be the 5G frequency that basically makes 5G a lot more common. So like you'll actually feel the difference in your day-to-day -day life. But it's worth noting there are a couple of caveats. You actually have to have a device that connects to this. It's possible that whether you can connect to this depends on what plan you have with your uh, phone plan. So there should be a difference if you, you, know, you already have those two things. 
Well, it looks like it'll take a little bit of time to get this all figured out. Uh, obviously, we want all that faster service on our devices, but safety in the skies is also very important. So uh, we'll keep monitoring this and uh, notice any changes that happen there. Rebecca Heilweil, reporter for Recode by Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.